Hello, welcome to a new episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today, I have a very, very special guest, the Honourable Lord Hunt of Kings Heath. How are you, Lord Hunt? Or may I call you Philip? Please call me Philip. Um, <laughs> I'm very well today, thank you. Um, speaking to you from home in Birmingham, just before the start of the Commonwealth Games. So it's very exciting to be here. Brilliant. And you know what? One of those one of those things when I said to a few people when I, I was saying that we were going to be having you on, on, on the podcast this week is they said about how passionate you are about Birmingham. I am. Yeah. And um, I moved here uh, in 1978. And I think like many people, you think you're going to come for a job and you'll be there for two years. But uh, here I am, um, you know, decades still enjoying life in Birmingham. So uh, it's a fantastic city to be in. Um, Commonwealth Games, very exciting. And I certainly hope we're going to um, be chosen to host the Eurovision Song Contest as well, because we ha- we actually hosted the last Eurovision Song Contest held right? in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And we've it's got the- just the right place for it. Oh, brilliant. Well, there must, there must be a good chance here. Yeah, I was, I was li- they literally just announced that, didn't they? That um, because of the, the nature of Ukraine, we've offered to, to host yeah. the, uh, the US yeah. in some contests. Well, that would, that would be quite something. Would you, would you be going along to that? I, I'd love to go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're addicts of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. I mean, this year, for once, we had a wonderful entry, which yeah. made it all much yeah. more uh, enjoyable than usual. Yeah. <laughs> I watched I watched that as well. I watched it with the kids and, and, and uh, you know, there's no two ways about it. It's, it's, it's str- strange how, strange how um, passionate you suddenly get on the night when the yeah, night absolutely. coming yeah. out. It's like, it sort yeah. of lulls you in and suddenly you realise that... that you're well, it's also the bumped. wonders of political voting, you know, yeah. and uh, all that stuff as well. It's sort of, uh, it, it's sort of the night of the big takeaway and <laughs> a yeah, glass yeah, yeah, or two. Absolutely. And, <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant. Just before we started recording, I said to you, there's so much. Usually I might start with going through a little bit of an introduction of how you got to where you are today. But if we did that with you, we'd probably be here till till tomorrow because you've had such a storied and storied uh, career uh, but I wanted to start off I suppose which where I hope is the beginning 1972 that's right this was at the Oxford Regional Regional Hospital Board correct is that also correct right so I'm yep. two for two so I'm going to go for like I'm going to go for my third point here I'm going to go for the hat trick you were a work studies officer yeah and I'm that, afraid so yes, yes. Now, work studies officer, this is where you're um, uh, along. Uh, you know, it's important to say off the bat, I think, that clearly yourself, not just yourself, but also your family, have had a great dedication to public service. And yours, I guess, started in 1972. Uh, how did that come about? And how did you end up kind of obviously becoming so passionate about being in, in healthcare? Well, like many things, it was luck, really. Um, I left university in Leeds in 1970. And um, like a few young people then, uh, I spent a year or so traveling overland to Australia, working in an iron ore mine there. And when I came back, um, there was a recession and work was very hard to find. So um, I'd seen these adverts for work study officers um, in the health service and, and had a go, was lucky enough to get uh, appointed. Uh, it was a time, it's interesting, the government of the day was uh, trying to hold down pay increases and work study bonus schemes were being introduced 
as a way of increasing productivity, but giving mm -hmm. workers more money as well. And I was one of the people to be appointed. So for a couple of years, I was putting in bonus schemes for staff, cleaners, porters, uh, and catering staff. So that that's obviously where you sort of you came into the world of healthcare, and one way or another, you've been there ever since. But just before we sort of go on about your you know your career trajectory from there, um, I wanted to ask you about the fact that you know I just said that you're, you there's not only yourself has obviously been dedicated to public service, but but there's been that within within your family as well. Why do you think that is? Where do you think that came from? Well, um, my father was um, a welfare officer for deaf people and my mother was a nurse for many, many years. So I suppose, um, you know, it was in my blood, really, that uh, uh, I'd seen them work hard. They were very dedicated uh, and really, you know, uh, when my mum retired from the health service, she helped my father as um, in supporting in the work he did for deaf people. Mm -hmm. I suppose it was by example, really. And um, I think that uh, uh, once, like many people, once you get into the health service, you kind of get bitten by it, don't you? And mm -hmm. uh, uh, fascinated by it. Um, and I remain fascinated by it, challenges and all, you know, thinking about the future challenges we face. Um, but it's a really worthwhile um, I think endeavour to be in. It's got some fantastic people, but they often have to struggle against the odds. Yeah. Now, you obviously yourself as well went on to become uh, uh, had managerial roles in NHS. What? So, 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 so to speak, being at the coalface as well. What did you discover there? What, what were the when you went into that over your various positions that you've had as an NHS manager? What did you? What was your main kind of takeaways from that? And what, and did did you then say to yourself, right, if I can get into a position where I can try and put pressure on to make things better for other NHS managers, where where did that come from? What did you see when you were an NHS manager that made you think, right, if I get in a position to help, I need to. So my second job was at the Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre in Oxford, where I was a, a manager assistant to the hospital secretary that's what the chief execs were called then and the thing that struck me was um this was an excellent orthopedic hospital pioneering of some of the new developments that we now take for granted like total hip operations at that point they were very very innovative but what really hit home was the long waiting lists um you know we had patients waiting up to five years mm. five years for treatment and I think that really opened my eyes to some of the real challenges the NHS has faced. And later on, I was very proud when I was a health minister to be part of Alan Milburn's team when we really tackled waiting times and got them down to weeks rather than years. And I think that the thing we should never forget about the health service is that we are there to serve the public and we have to make sure the public gets a really good service you mentioned there uh, as a health minister uh, you, you you had ministerial roles under gordon brown and tony blair what's it like getting in getting those kind of positions what's it like being in a uh, getting into a role where you i guess really feel that you can make a try and make a difference yeah and well how did I, that come I, about yeah. um well obviously um i was pointed 
to the Lords in 1997 when Labour won the election. Mm. I acted as a kind of informal advisor over years to various Labour health spokespeople. And I'd been to see Tony Blair uh, a few months before the election because he wanted some external verification of Labour's health policy. So when Labour got into power, they wanted more people in the House of Lords. I was lucky enough to be the person chosen to bring some health expertise. And that, that's really what happened. Within a year, I was made a government whip. And, and further year after, I became health minister. And um, it, it's interesting because obviously in my previous roles, I'd uh, been to see ministers many times at the Department of Health. But when you're on the other side of the fence, uh, it does feel very different. And it's scary at first because you get in there on day one and you're, you, you meet your private office, five or six people whose role is to support you as a minister. Yeah. Um, they give you a great briefing on the areas you're responsible for and some of the challenges. And um, that is also very nice. And then, you know, the day later, you're suddenly called upon <laughs> to make decisions and I always remember on day two in the evening, um, I was booked in to have a dinner with David, Lord David Sainsbury, who was the Minister of Science, with our own Sir John Patterson, who was Director of Research and Development. Mm -hmm. And uh, listening to these two amazing people talk about the challenges mm -hmm. that we faced in life sciences, I thought, oh, my goodness me, what have I walked into? <laughs> I, can, I, I can imagine well, I'm reminded of, for some reason, I, I, I'm, I'm having flashbacks to old episodes of Yes Minister. Yeah. You know, <laughs> early yeah. episodes of that. You really, it's interesting because I know that at the time that that, that, that show was on telly, um, a lot of actual ministers said, wow, that's amazing how similar. That yes, is I mean, it's it, it slightly moved on <clears throat> since then, yeah. but. Uh, and I think the thick of it, it's a com. If you put the thick of it and mm -hmm. yes, minister together, you probably get more of a balance. Mm. What you certainly, what what's thrown at you is a huge amount of work. You get loads and loads of reports where you're asked to make decisions. Um, but I think what people don't realise is a lot of time of the time of ministers is also spent in Parliament, yeah. uh, because there are debates, there are questions, there are legislation, and that surprised me too. I had not realised quite how much Parliament impinged on the work of ministers so much. Um, but it was an amazing job and it was an exciting time to be there. We were, as I've said, we, we were tackling waiting times. Mm -hmm. We were increasing staff. I was dealing with some fantastic people. I recruited the first cancers. I went across River Thames to St Thomas's to recruit the first cancer czar, and we were appointing these first-rate clinicians to top jobs in the department. Um, we were expanding services, uh, NHS Direct, um, new hospitals, all that kind of thing. So it was a really amazing time to be there. I was, I was going to say you kind of touched on there uh, anyway, I guess. But um, what would what would you what would you be most proud of um, from your time as a minister? There's no question that um, getting waiting times down, mm -hmm. the maximum 18-week wait for inpatient treatment, um, the 62-day cancer wait, these were remarkable achievements. And, and it's sad to see how we've deteriorated from there. But, you know, for a time, we felt we'd really cracked this. We'd really got the NHS 
up to speed mm -hmm. and it it was exciting. The other thing I'm really proud of is um, I got controversial legislation through allowing stem cell research. It was controversial because you are using um, um, it, 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 very ethical issues. Yeah. Uh, and um, we managed to get it through the House of Lords. And we're seeing the results now in terms of some of the illnesses that are being tackled through stem cell uh, research and treatment. So, you know, long term, I suppose that I think I would point to my greatest, uh, the thing I'm most proud of. You know, I, I, I'm going to touch on this. I, I was wondering whether to mention it or not, but it, it, I was I was uh, I was reading about it just the other day. And I really just wanted to, you know, not to go off on a uh, wild tangent onto this, but I just read it yesterday and I thought it was interesting and I, and I wanted to get your viewpoint on it. Um, the There was a report by um, Professor Stephen Smith, former NHS chief exec, about uh, the potential of having some payments, um, asking people to pay, I think it was uh, £8 per night for any night stayed in a hospital, potentially uh, over 60s, potentially um, paying for prescription bills um, as a way of kind of topping up the public coffers uh, for the NHS. What was your quick? What would be your quick view of that? Would you see that as a sort of thin end of the wedge, or, or would you? I, or I, to be honest, I think that um, look. I think there's a real issue about funding the health service and the extent to which um, you can do it just from taxation. Yeah. But charging, to be honest, charging eight people eight pounds a head, and he said there would be a means test because mm -hmm. there are obviously people who can't afford that. Sure. So you just have to think of the bureaucracy needed to be set up yeah, to run yeah, something like that. Yeah. And I think it's just a, it's just a non-runner, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I think in the past, over decades, people have suggested, for instance, when you go to the GP, you pay five or ten pounds. Mm -hmm. And I would have the same objections. We do, though, face a big issue about how do you fund the health service mm -hmm. and social care with a growing older population, when there is concern about taxation and you're not penalising young people and young families. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't have any easy answer to this, but I do think we need to sort of start to at least have open discussions uh, about these issues, because I think anyone can see that the health service is uh, struggling at the moment. It's, it's not just the catch up on COVID. Yeah. It's the underlying issue of a growing older population yep. the inadequacies of social care and the fact is that with brexit as well um and this is not just the health services is generally mm. um the sort of uh, people that used to come from the eu to help us in workforce issues are no longer available you put all that together and you have a major problem a major challenge about running the health service Okay. And to be honest with you, a billion pounds here or there ain't going to make yeah. any difference at all. Sure. Okay, well, I just wanted to get, get your uh, viewpoint on that, an expert as you are. Uh, one thing I was going to ask you about was obviously you touched on, you know, when you came into the House of Lords. Uh, Philip, what's it like being part of the House of Lords? I mean, people have this, people from the outside have this, <laughs> have this sort of rarefied 
notion of it, you know, and, and what it involves, and and, and everything. Yeah. Can, can you give us a little sort of inside track on what was it like being a member? Well, of I always think back to when I was first introduced, because when you're first introduced, you have to dress up in the robes, you know, that you see <laughs> right. when Parliament is opened, mm-hmm. and we used to wear hats as well, and um, it's pretty scary because um, you at the start of the day in the house. Um, if you're being introduced as a member, um, you have to go in with your robes on and you have to bow to all sides of the house. You have to swear an oath of allegiance to the Queen. And then you have to walk up and bow to then the Lord Chancellor. And of course, you have your family there. I had four young children watching as well. So <laughs> we were a little bit worried too about <laughs> how it would go. But uh, you, you do that and then... Um, your sponsors take you back to sit in the Lords. And I watched a bit of questions from on my first day and I thought, blimey, what have I got myself into? <laughs> because the thing is, up behind the flammery of state opening, mm. what you have is, is a serious sort of Chamber of Parliament focusing mainly on scrutinising legislation in a detailed way, which the House of Commons doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just taking part in, in debates on some of the great ethical issues of the day, which the Lords excels at. Yeah. Um, so I soon found it a, a really exciting place to work, actually, full of interesting people, um, but which was incredibly challenging. You know, as a minister for 10 years, you're constantly at the dispatch box being questioned by people who know more about an issue than you do. You're the minister defending the government. So I always remember um, I spent some time at the Ministry of Justice as a minister having to deal with justice issues and sprinkled around the house are these former or law lords who were the top lawyers in the land <laughs> asking me questions. And uh, again, I remember um, uh, in fact, quite extraordinary. Um, our children, we went bowling after Christmas in 1997 and uh, we were just getting chips for the kids when I got this call saying, Tony Blair's on the phone. Would you speak to him? And he said, uh, uh, would you go back to the Department of Health to be a Minister of State? Uh, and of course I said, yes. Yeah. The next day I was in the department uh, and being told that I, my job was to take a mental health bill through the House of Lords. And I was on, I would be on my feet the day after that. And in the Lords, you've got many doctors and experts in that field. And suddenly you're defending a 200 page controversial piece of legislation mm-hmm. with very little background in it. So um, it, 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 it's, uh, it's stimulating, but my goodness me, it can be challenging at times. I think uh, you've, de- you've definitely made that point very well there. Uh, of course, one of the things that you're doing at the, at the moment in the, in, the, in the House of Lords, and this is my effortless segue into the procurement profession, is the procurement bill. Yes. So before, before we come directly onto the procurement bill, and I guess it will be it, it will be related, um, I just wanted to uh, just kind of find out about how you came into uh, the HTSA, how you came to take a particular interest in the NHS procurement uh, community 
Um, I know anybody that has heard you talking at uh, the the House of Lords event that we had a couple of weeks ago, which was great, which uh, and I know you, you're involved in setting up. Um, you said that Duncan Eaton had kind of approached you about it. Um, I think you said something along the lines of you don't say no to Duncan Eaton. <laughs> Can you tell me? Yeah, yeah, yeah you, you don't turn Duncan that. Eaton down, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I once I, I I did we did a supply cast with Duncan Eaton. I think it was one of the first ones we did. I referred to him as the Yoda of NHS procurement, which I think he liked. You know? um, the, I I say the doyen, <laughs> the doyen, wonderful <laughs> of NHS procurement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, one of the things I was going to say, just obviously I want to hear about that story again. But the other thing is, is had you did you have a did you have a particular take on NHS procurement, on the people, on the procurement professionals within NHS, um, and their um, their causes prior to Duncan approaching you? I had um, first of all, interestingly, at the uh, Nuffield Orthopaedic Centre, my second job, mm. the hospital supplies officer was secretary of the HCSA, Mr. Smith. Oh wow! And, and of course, the hospital was very proud that they had a national. Mm person um and um so i came across hcsa very early on right um also at the time of the big 1974 reorganization um they were setting up area stores and they'd appointed area supplies officers so mm -hmm. there was a kind of major development in procurement in the nhs at that time which was controversial because it involved bringing together many different people working in procurement or stores and supplies, as it was then called. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was not a plain, you know, it wasn't always plain sailing. So I'd always taken an interest in this. And when I was uh, appointed a minister in uh, 1999, Alan Milburn, the Secretary of State, asked me to oversee NHS procurement. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I'd known Duncan Eaton from previous life, but um, that's when I got to work with him very closely indeed. He headed up PASA, yeah. um, which many of the leading people in procurement went through. Yeah. And, you know, I had a great time working with Duncan, uh, doing some fantastic things, improving procurement performance. Uh, and also, of course, Duncan was very keen on the development and training of prominent people to actually, if you like, develop the next leadership cadre. Um, and that was four very enjoyable years. So when um, Duncan comes to you, and, and obviously, so you've got that awareness there, and he asked you to, to, to come on board as, as, as president. I believe you're our longest serving president of HCSA. Um, I suppose... Again, similar to when you was a minister and, and been in the House of Lords, did you see this as, as kind of like another opportunity to to play a role in helping that particular part? Of yeah, healthcare? because I, I'd always um, I'd always taken a, a great interest because I always felt we could um, continue to develop and improve procurement performance, which is a huge benefit to the NHS, both in terms of uh, you know, having a very effective supply chain, but also in terms of cost reductions. Uh, so Duncan asked me if I would um, come into HCSA, which I was delighted to do. And it's been great because 
in the years I've been president, I think we've seen real progress in the effectiveness of HCSA mm-hmm. and the influence it has. And I would just remark on the the summer programs, the development programs that HCSA runs, the fantastic national forum and conference, which uh, I think is unequaled by any other similar organisation in terms of the quality or speakers it attracts, but also the range of discussion. Um, and I think during COVID, you know, it was, as you know, um, there was a lot of criticism mm. of um, NHS procurement. Ministers were flapping around at times in panic over PPE and things like that. And HCSA stepped up to the plate. It wasn't always easy because... Frankly, the government and ministers did not always welcome the comments that HCSA spokespeople were making, but I think they were right to make them. And I was very proud of the way our people stood up to that kind of pressure. When I look at the calibre of people on our council um, and the people leading HCSA, um, they are very, very good quality people indeed. Mm. I know that uh, HCSA is in really very good hands. And this is really important. You know, a professional body that is leading a critical profession in the health service needs good leadership. And by goodness me, we have it. Uh, obviously, that, that's, that's fantastic to hear about the HCSA. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I know from, you know, working with HCSA that there's a lot of plans for the future. And certainly we're in a period of wanting to constantly progress as an organisation. Uh, obviously a very important and challenging time for NHS human. Speaking of it being a period of challenge and in particular change, I've heard a few people, uh, you know, Andrew Daly at Hempstons, for example, I spoke to him and he was talking about the fact that there's never been such a period of change that he can remember. The procurement bill is obviously, first and foremost, over that right at the moment. There's going to be a lot of changes to that before it finally gets into its finished state, obviously. What's your view on the current status of the procurement bill and, and how it, and then the form it's in at the moment, shall we say? Right, so the procurement bill's going yeah. through Parliament at the moment. Um, basically, it's the post-Brexit bill. So the government has set out in legislation how procurement is to be organised in the future um, as we leave, as we've left the EU. Um, in one sense, of course... Um, clinical services are not to be covered. Uh, And this was one of the big talking points in the previous health and care bill, which is now an act, uh, because of concerns that we would use procurement rules in order to privatise or outsource clinical services. So uh, those clinical services are, if you like, being ring-fenced and will continue to be mostly run directly by the NHS. I think the debates generally about procurement are debates that would HCSA would, would recognise. Um, the, 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 the big sort of lines of attack on it are that public sector procurement in the end always goes to lowest price and that quality can get thrown out the window. Um, things like best value are words that are used. But... I think there is general concern that the bill does not do sufficiently to ensure that the overall value of a procurement 
and long-term value of a commune is considered sufficiently. And anyone in the health service will know of the huge efficiency pressures that are on the procurement function, which does tend you to go to lowest price almost, you know, because there is so much pressure to reduce your cost. And those are the issues that we're really debating at the moment. And as you can imagine, I've had some very good briefings from HCSA on some of those substantive issues. It's got, a, it's got another, uh, we don't, um, we don't even complete committee stage till September. So it won't be out the Lords till the end of October. So there's plenty of time for more debate. Yeah. You know, as I said at the uh, beginning of this podcast, there's so much I could talk to you about. You've obviously been chief executive of NHS Confederation in your time. You are president of GS1 uh, at this time as well. But one thing I wanted to add, because I think it was quite a sort of a, a really key moment that I know was very much appreciated by procurement professionals, was when you gave your president's award to the NHS procurement community and those suppliers as well. How did that decision come about? And I know you were the driving force behind that. Tell me a little bit about how that came about. So the awards, I always think, are one of the highlights of our year at HCSA. And it's wonderful to see people who've gone beyond the mile, you know, who are to be recognised. But when you think about COVID, when you think about the huge work that people put in, um, I and my colleagues felt there was a strong desire to recognize the profession as a whole for what they did um it's funny isn't it you know we move on quickly don't they from events so sometimes it's hard to remember what happened at the height of the covid emergency but you just think back to the real concerns about whether the health service could continue to function about the shortages all of those issues, and it seemed to me that the people working in the field, day after day, working really hard, long hours, they deserve some recognition. So I was delighted mm-hmm. to do it. Okay. Uh, something I wanted to add just before we go on to the final bit of the podcast, which is a little fun bit, of, fun bit at the end. We wish you. Well, I'm glad there's some fun place. here, Bruce. Somewhere there's some fun. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, it's it's, it's been fun, but there's serious <laughs> topics, aren't they, Philip? You know? And uh, you're you're a serious. Well, man. I think we have to convince people <laughs> that procurement. Yeah. You know, one yeah. of the aims yeah. I, of my presidency yeah. has been to get across to people that yeah. procurement is a really interesting place to be so yeah i agree with you i've worked in a few industries i've worked in different parts of healthcare in my career but i have to say being within nhs procurement community people are the passion is quite extraordinary and the commitment and people really do have a drive for their jobs and they enjoy the community to me that really stands out you know whether it's at hsa conferences or whether it's at, you know, it was at P4H a couple of weeks ago, um, whatever it is, there's a, there's a de- definite feel, and I de- I've spoken to a lot of people to doing this podcast of all ages and of all levels, there's a definite uh, sense of community, a real strong sense of community in NHS Becuming, which is which you don't find, you don't find everywhere. And that's one of the things that really stood out for me. I agree. And I think if you come to our annual conference you see the um the the scale of people's enthusiasm um the excitement in the discussion i think it's a great sign Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that uh, uh, conference coming up, of course, is November 22nd, 23rd. Uh, you can register for that now, but hurry, because tickets are going quickly. Um, you can find, if you go to the website, haconference.co.uk, and uh, you can also find on our various social media platforms details of how to register and how to book there. So I just thought I'd get that in quickly. Well done. Um, well done. Yes, thank you, Philip. <laughs> uh, Philip, I, I, I did want to ask you about this because in, in being the very humble man you are, I know you wouldn't mention it yourself, but 1993, was it that you got the OBE? Yes, yeah. What was that yeah. like, receiving that? Uh, it, was, it was very, very good. And my parents were alive and my eldest son, Jacob, who was only seven, were able to come see it. So uh, I always remember it as a special day going to Buckingham Palace uh, to have the uh, uh, medal pinned on by Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah, it was a very, very special day. We went out for a lovely lunch afterwards. And uh, did, you get, did you go bowling again? Uh, <laughs> well, I was, I've always always enjoyed going bowling with the children. I must say, are you any good? Uh, no, absolutely hopeless. I, I used to like it. Well, you know, when you have to put when you with your children, you put the barriers yeah, up yeah, to yeah. make sure the ball yeah. doesn't go out. That, I, that I always tunnel. used to enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you keep them up for yourself then? <laughs> uh, absolutely. Why not? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I would. I would. I'm, I'm hopeless at it too, but. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's the taking part, it's the experience, isn't it? Yes, I've, I've now got young grandchildren, so I'm hoping they'll, um, a few years' time, we can do the same. Yeah. And if they still have bowling alleys, or whether I'm afraid so, I'm afraid some of them are being closed. And um, I've got one um, near me still. I think they're, they're, yeah. they're still there. I think, I think they're still, you know, live and kicking. Uh, Philip, I'm now going to take you off, as previously threatened, to, <laughs> to the Desert Island Supplies part of the podcast. The way it works, regular listeners will know, is that I ask whoever the subject is to uh, tell me what luxury item, what what music, one album or one album by an artist, and what film or television show, if they'd prefer, they would take to a desert island if that's all they could take. So first of all, Philip, I was going to ask you for your luxury item. Well, that is, I think, the most difficult one. Um mm-hmm. I'm afraid I'm going to be very non-health and say an endless supply of red wine. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> an end- I like the fact it's an endless supply. Why not? An endless well, supply. I could say a case, but it wouldn't last very long, would it? <laughs> no, I'll tell you what, maybe we can put like almost like a red wine waterfall. That sounds uh, very I'm nice. Not, that sounds all right, doesn't it? You can <laughs> drink it, bathing it. You know, you can, you know. Don't um, tell anyone in the health series I said that. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, <coughs> uh, pardon me I've literally just got over Covid so um, oh, yeah. little... <laughs> so no, I, I thought you know just just for an added bit of spicy <laughs> podcast I thought I'd, I'd have Covid then get over it before I spoke to you um, so luxury item a red wine waterfall fantastic we've not had that before but I'm going to have it we're going to have it we're going to build on <laughs> for you uh, what music would you what would you be listening to there Okay, so I reckon um, I'm, I've got a very wide taste in music, but I reckon I needed something that was really challenging. So I, I'm going to go for uh, the whole set of Wagner operas, which oh, should for, keep me going for hours say, and hours and that, hours and hours, yeah. 
that will certainly keep you going. Yeah, I'm building a picture. I'm building a brilliant picture of you here. Philip. You've got, you, you, you're listening to your Wagner. You're sitting by your red wine waterfall. It's really creating a beautiful image here. <laughs> I cannot wait to hear what you'd, what you'd be taking to watch. What you'd be taking. Oh, uh, well, it's a very, very hard one because... Yeah. Um, I'm very torn, but I, I would have to be a cheer-up film. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So um, I, I'm torn between Mamma Mia. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know if people have heard of, well, they've heard, certainly heard of The Proclaimers, but they mm-hmm. made a, it was a wonderful film called Sunshine on Leith. Right, uh, okay. Which contains loads of their great songs. And I think in the end, that's the one I'm going to have because it would uh, be a real cheer-up. So, I mean, it's, I mean, the scene is set, isn't it? So you've got um, Sunshine on Leith, you've got Proclaimers, Wagner, your Red Wine, Waterfall. I wouldn't want to come back, wow. would I? <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> There'd be an empty seat in the House of Lords, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> They'd all be yeah. wondering where Lord Hunt was. Um, that is fantastic. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for finding the time. I know your time's very precious to you, so thank you very much for finding the time to have this discussion. Um, you know, we really could have we could have gone on for hours, couldn't we? And 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 ended up in a red one waterfall. But that's been absolutely fantastic. Obviously, we'll be seeing you at that uh, conference, November twenty second, twenty third, at the Manchester Central. Again, go to hsaconference.co.uk to register your tickets. Tickets are going fast, and uh, I look forward to seeing you, you there. And I know lots of people will. And uh, again, yeah, thank you for your time, Philip. Thanks very much, Bruce. Look forward to seeing everyone in Manchester later on in the year. And I hope that you can also listen to next week's episode on Supplycast. Thank you. Bye.